0: everybody doing? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> that's always fun. Um, not that that happens a lot, but anyways, that's that's fun. Um, hey, glad you guys are here. Uh, I was telling the the, the nine o'clock service. Um, if it's your first time here, this is the the fourth service we do. We do two on Saturday and then two on Sunday, and this is our, our last one for the weekend. And uh, it's nice. It's nice to end on a positive note. It's our biggest service, and and uh, you guys are always. I, this is the only one I get like catcalls at and stuff like that. So that's that's good. Uh, <laughs> I made this joke. <laughs> I was, I, it wasn't a joke. I, I said I made it. it was uh, the joke was made out of me, I guess. Uh, I was saying something like God touches our hearts or something, and I got my words confused at the nine. I said farts instead of hearts. <laughs> And it was like one of those moments when people are just kind of like, I'm like, well, there it is. You know, you might as well just close the Bible and just kind of get off the stage. We made it, we made it through, um, remarkably made it through that, but it was pretty rough. So, um, you know, I don't know. Anyways, uh, we'll see what happens at the 11, right? So if you've never been here before, uh, we take ourselves really seriously around here. And, um, (laughs) no, uh. If you've never been here before, this is a great church. You're sitting around a lot of great people. Um, there's a lot of just eclectic, interesting. Boy, we have every kind of people in this church, and it's it's just refreshing. If I haven't told you enough, and, and if I haven't told you in a while, I'm sorry, but I just want to tell you, uh, it is the greatest honor in, in my whole life uh, to be able to, to be here and, and to be with you and to to teach the Word of God, and uh, I, I, just, I just love what I do, and I'm, I love that that you guys support this church and that you support your community and you're such a good example of, of what it means to follow Christ. And um, from, from me and the rest of the staff at this church, I just want to tell you thank you. Um, thank you for all you do and thank you for your involvement. And I hope that we can always serve you well. Uh, if you've never been here, um, we go through whole books of the Bible. We're in the book of Hebrews. This has been a, I've, I've really enjoyed this. I, there hasn't been a book of the Bible that I've taught that I have not been just thoroughly blown away with. Um, we got done with Daniel a couple of months ago. We, we've, we've been doing the book of Hebrews, I guess, for about a month and a half. And uh, we're in chapter 6 today. This is in the New Testament. It's right before the book of James. You should have got a notes handout, so everything's on there. Um, Also, you should have gotten, or you shouldn't have gotten, you can get on your smartphone and get version, Y-O-U version. It's a free app. And our notes and prayer requests and announcements and and the scripture, and everything's on that. It's a great tool. You should use that if you have a smartphone. Uh, So where we've been, though, in the book of Hebrews, if you haven't been here, Last week in chapter 5, now I mentioned this, that uh, the Bible is not written in chapters. So ideas will float between and bleed into chapters. So at the end of chapter 5 and going into chapter 6, there's no break in thought. Now if you haven't been here, it's fine. It's all going to make sense and you'll be able to follow along just fine. But what we talked about last week was this, is that Jesus is the perfect leader, but we must choose to go deeper with Jesus. We must choose to mature in our relationship. In essence, growth or maturity is a choice that we make. We choose to grow up and get into the deeper things of God, and we're called to do that. Okay. Now this week, we're gonna follow up on that idea of maturing, and this is a really great, we're not gonna get all the way through chapter six, but the the half of chapter six that we're gonna cover is really, really solid, and it's really, really good. It's a good chapter, not just for us who are Christians to see how we are to grow in our faith, It's a great chapter for non-believers. If you're in this room and you are not a believer, and I hope our church is always uh, inviting in and very comfortable for people who do not believe in the Christian faith yet. I hope we have some of you out there. If you're out there, if you've been hurt by church or misled or you've learned bad theology or or whatever the case may be, chapter 6 of Hebrews gives us a good snapshot of what the fundamentals of Christianity are should look like. It doesn't always look like that because we're broken individuals, right? But it should look the way that chapter six portrays it. And so it shows us as Christians where we should be. And it shows you, if you're a non-believer in here, where Christianity should also be. So what we're going to talk about is this, is that we must live with intentionality. The, the whole thesis of today is that we must do life on purpose, We must choose to do it a certain way because great relationships do not happen by accident. Successful businesses don't happen by accident. Becoming a professional athlete doesn't happen by accident. Uh, Succeeding as a good mother or a good wife or having a healthy marriage or having strong friendships. And then the ultimate relationship, our relationship with God, none of these become great and become healthy just by chance. They, they, They become that way because we intentionally make them that way. We do it on purpose, okay? So I'm not a motivational speaker, but today there are some things that really challenge us and they really push us forward. And if we will get our relationship with God to be mature and to be deep, it will literally affect everything else in our lives, everything else in our lives, okay? So that's kind of my hope today is to show you that a little bit. Again, we love you guys. We're so glad that you're here. I'm going to read a little bit of chapter six. I'm going to pray before I get into this and... Uh, We'll see what the Lord says. It's pretty straightforward, but it's um, um, it's a really great chapter. Okay, let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Lord, keep your hand on me as I teach uh, the first half of chapter six. God, I just pray, Lord, that I teach it with wisdom. I pray that I teach it with accuracy. Uh, Pray, I pray, God, that that my thoughts and my ideas don't get in the mix. I pray, God, that I just present Your Word in an an objective and fair way. Lord Jesus, we want to pray for everyone in this room who hears Your Word. Whether they be a believer or not, God, uh, we pray that these words bless them. We pray that if someone in this room is not a believer, that something in the message will spark something in them, an interest in theirs, God, to uh, to know who you are. Father, we also want to pray for every single church in our community. We want to pray that you bless the leadership. We want to pray that you bless the staffs, the congregations, God, that we can link arms and that we can advance your kingdom, Father. Lord, we want to make sure, God, that your name becomes becomes the most famous name in our city, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. God, be gracious with me today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter 6 of Hebrews. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. It's got virtually everything I'm going to say in it. Again, New Testament, right before the book of James. That's where this book of the Bible is found, and we're in chapter 6. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll do my best to explain it. Here we go. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, that's Jesus, Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do all this if God permits. Now, this is very basic stuff, but I think a lot of us have forgotten this over time. Christianity is a relationship. And being a good Christian is being in a good, healthy relationship with God the Father. So after one accepts Christ and is saved by grace through faith, not by their own works, but by God's grace through faith, the believer is to grow in their intimacy with God and they're to grow in their understanding of who Jesus is. And in growing close to God, there are certain behaviors that we leave as we grow up and grow closer to him. And then there are certain things, certain behaviors, certain actions that we pick up and we hold on to, and we develop through this process of maturity. So what we're called to do by the author is we're called to move on, maybe a better way would say move through the elementary teachings of the Bible. Now listen, all the words of the Bible are profitable and good and are inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. They're all good. So all biblical knowledge is good, but verse 1 is saying that we are to learn the basics of Christianity and following Christ, and that we are to hold on to those things, but as we move forward into deeper things. Now, what's nice about chapter 6 is it gives us some lists. It's going to, I like lists because I'm just a man and I'm not very smart. Give me a list and I'll do the list. And so chapter 6 gives us a list of things that we should hold on to and learn but to move on to the next thing. Now, what the author says that a lot of us tend to do is we lay a foundation of Christianity and we don't build onto the foundation, we just keep laying the same foundation on. What that means is, let's say uh, you become a Christian, you know that Jesus died on the cross and forgives you of your sins, but you don't go any further than that. So you know this and then you learn it again and then you learn it again, and you learn it again. And the author's saying, okay, you just keep putting foundation upon foundation. It's time to start building the house. It's time to start doing more. It's time to start going deeper. It's time to start becoming more knowledgeable than just the fact that Jesus loves you. So there are six statements, six things, and they're put in couplets, groups of two. There are six statements about elementary teaching. Now, mind you, before I get into this, these are the most basic tenets of Christianity, the most basic, okay? The first one is that we have faith and that we repent for our sins. We need to not only ask God to forgive us of our sins, but we also, because true repentance is also taking the steps to stop doing that sin. So it's not enough if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend to come in on the weekend and say, God, I'm sorry I slept with my girlfriend. That's not true repentance. True repentance is, I'm sorry for sleeping with my girlfriend. God, help me take the steps to stop doing that until we're married. It's to take the steps to change. Repentance follows the first step of our foundation, which is a belief not only in Christ and what he's done, but the belief that Jesus has the ability and the willingness to forgive and to restore us. Now, A true believer in Jesus does not remain in a life of sin and disobedience to God. A true believer in Jesus, once they understand what pleases God, they take the steps to change their lifestyle. And of course, we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's one and two. Number three, is it says the foundation of ritual washings. Now, that was actually referring to a Jewish uh, uh, tradition that a lot of conservative Jews still do. They wash their hands in a certain way. They wash their bodies in a certain way. Ritual washings. Now, we're not called to do ritual washings, but we are called to be baptized. So we have faith. We repent from our sins and we turn from our sins. And then we make a public statement. In fact, we're going to baptize a couple of people at the end of service today. We make a public statement To the world around us through baptism that we are following Jesus. Now, the next level. Now, here's where we get into uncomfortable territory. Here's where we get into territory that splits churches and makes people fight and people argue about. And this is where we get into the supernatural side of things, where it talks about the laying on of hands. Now, what this is referring to, mind you, this is elementary Christian knowledge, is that we are to seek Receive and properly use the gifts of the Spirit, not for our own benefit, but for the edification, the lifting up of the church. Now here's where this gets uncomfortable. Many of us, including this guy, have seen the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit, mainly the gift of speaking in tongues. If I were to ask you to raise your hand in here, you ever known a quack that spoke in tongues? Almost all you could raise your hands. Now look, that's not to make fun of the gifts that God has given us. I believe in speaking in tongues. Let me freak you guys out. I do it. Anyways, I'm not going to do it in front of you because that's an improper use of that. But what we've done is instead of seeking after the gifts of the Spirit because God has given us these different things, which I'm going to talk about later on in the service, we've seen the abuse of these things. So, and I get it, guys, rather than go down that path and, and, and potentially see a bunch of nuttiness, we just completely stay away from the supernatural side of God. But We are taught to pursue the gifts of the Spirit and to utilize those for the edification of the church. I'm gonna get into that more in detail later, okay? Don't clock out, all right? The next thing we're supposed to know is the fifth and sixth thing, which is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, number six. We know most Christians even if you're not a Christian here, you know that Christians believe this. We know that we will be resurrected from the dead and be judged eternally by Jesus Christ. So we know that we'll be resurrected, Revelation 20. We know that we will be eternally judged for our response or lack of response to the gospel. But we are not just to stop at knowing that. Listen, we're to live our lives in such a manner that understands that eternity is in the balance. Do we live our lives in such a manner to where we understand there is eternal paradise and eternal judgment? I know we don't like to talk about that side of it, but we have to because it's real. And so do we understand that our family's eternity is at stake? Our children, our spouse, ourselves, do we live in such a manner that reflects that? Now look, like I said, these are the elementary foundations of Christianity, the elementary ones. And believers are called not only to experience these things, but to grow in our understanding and our obedience in these things. And if we believe these things, but we refuse to grow in them, we cannot expect the help and the aid of Jesus Christ because we have willingly pushed away from the table. Now, this is what Jesus said. Boy, Jesus sometimes, oh, it gets kind of right at your heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, he said, the people who claim to follow me, their lips are close, but their hearts are far away. Is there a scripture more relevant to our culture than that? Right now in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, it might have dipped down a little bit, right at about 70% of the United States claims to be Christian in their religious affiliation. So if 70% of our nation claims to be Christian, bear with me, do our movies, music, politics, culture, media, all does it reflect a 70% Christian worldview? Okay, that was easy, right? So obviously, a lot of people's lips are close to Jesus, uh, but not so much their hearts. So we go on. Fortunately, because all that was (laughs) kind of negative, right? Fortunately, the Holy Spirit helps us. Listen, we cannot honor God unless God helps us honor God. Maturing in our relationship with Jesus, it begins with us saying, I'm willing to do this. I'm committed, I will do whatever I need to do to grow closer to Jesus. But we must invoke the Holy Spirit to help us do that. We must invoke the Holy Spirit, trust the Holy Spirit, call on the Holy Spirit in order to help us understand and to follow God's standards. Like we said last week, if we're going to mature, that has to be a conscious effort, a choice on our part. Okay, you guys still with me? The next part, the next part has a couple of curveballs in it, okay? For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, became companions with the Holy Spirit, tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, because to their own harm they are recrucifying the Son of God, and holding Him up to contempt. For ground that has drunk the rain that has often fallen on it and that produces vegetation useful to those it has cultivated for receiving a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and will be burned at the end. Now, let me. there's a couple of big theological discussions in that small part that I just read. The first one is this. And if you've never been to this church before, we have kind of a mantra around here. We minor on the minors and we major on the majors, okay? So in verse four and five, these two verses are used by very extreme camps. If you're in one of these camps, guys, it's totally cool. We can worship together and love each other and all that good jazz, as long as you're focusing on Jesus Christ, these two extreme camps kind of become irrelevant. But anyways, the two extreme camps argue about a question that has never been resolved. If one is saved, can you lose that salvation? There is one camp that follow a guy named Jacob Arminius, the Arminians, and they believe you can lose your salvation. There is another camp They follow a guy named John Calvin, Calvinists, who believe you cannot lose your salvation. Now, I believe both of these people love Jesus, and I believe that they're both arguing and they have good points. There are points on both sides that I like and some that I don't like. Here's the thing. In these debates, arguing about can we or can we not divorce our heavenly husband, in these debates, the point often gets lost. And here's what I mean. I've been married to my wife for 12 years and the D word has never been a part of our vocabulary. It just hasn't. And I'm not trying to say our marriage is perfect. It has not been perfect. There was a point about seven years ago when our, our marriage was very, very rocky. It was very, right about the time we started this church. It was very, very rough. But the D word has never been a part of our vocabulary. Now, instead of my wife and I continually asking each other, can we get divorced? Instead, we use that energy to make sure that we fall in love with each other more. So maybe the energy that Arminians and Calvinists use all the time to fight each other, maybe if we use that energy to just make sure that more people knew the gospel and we're advancing toward Jesus, maybe that would be a better use of our time and our energy and our resources. But that's just me being a little sarcastic, right? So those people who claim that you cannot lose your salvation, again, if you're in that camp, that's totally fine. But those people who believe you cannot lose your salvation, they see verse 4 and 5 as talking about a loss of rewards in heaven. Once you're saved, you're always saved, but you may lose your rewards in heaven if you're not living up to your potential uh, that Jesus Christ has given you. Uh, This is a terrible analogy, but let's say you believe this and Uh, If I got saved when I was 15 years old, but I just did not live the the lifestyle that God wanted me to, I still get to heaven, but your condo may be a lot nicer than mine in heaven. Or you might drive a nicer car if we drive cars in heaven. It may be that kind of thing, right? The only problem with that interpretation as pertaining to verse four and five is that a little bit later in this chapter, we see that it talks about eternal judgment. In chapter 10, it really talks about eternal judgment too, is pertaining to uh, verse four and five. Another interpretation is this, is that the men and women who received the letter, Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know who it was going to, but whoever received it, one of the interpretations is the group that was reading this letter may not have been fully devoted Christians yet. Maybe they had tasted the heavenly gift, maybe they had seen God's power, maybe they had seen or felt God's grace in their life, but they were not fully committed to Jesus. What people call this is what's called common grace, Common grace is essentially the fact that God blesses people, um, even if they're not Christians sometimes. You may know people who are not Christians, but they have a, a good marriage, and they have a good job, and a nice home, and they've been blessed with these things, even though they haven't given, any God, uh, given God, haven't given God any credit. That's called common grace, and that could be an option there. These are people that had experienced God, but weren't fully committed yet. Maybe the best interpretation is this, though, and this is where I fall. The recipients of this letter were a big group of people. Let's say this group right here. I don't know how many people are in here right now, A 1,000 people or something like that. So there's a 1,000 people that received this letter. And so maybe the best interpretation is the author did not know who in the crowd receiving this letter was genuine in their faith. So what he did, because it's not his job to judge, as a pastor, it's not my job to judge if you're saved or not. My job is to encourage you to grow closer to Jesus. So he urges them to grow closer to Jesus by refusing to live a life that contradicts the Bible. Essentially what he was saying is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to do what Jesus finds pleasing. So show your faith by by doing that. And so Jesus even said in the gospel of John, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So that's what he was urging them to do. Demonstrate your faith. So the question of Was the Christian or the person that claimed to be a Christian who falls away from God, were they ever saved in the first place? It's not answered. But what we know for sure is this, and both camps will agree, that genuine faith is shown by an obedience to God, and it's visible through your actions, through your good works that glorify the God in heaven, right? So another curveball in all this is Jesus talks about that some people will fool a lot of other people, and people will think that they're saved, but they're not. And what there seems to be is there's a difference between people who are temporarily infatuated with Jesus and those who truly love him. There are some people that are temporarily infatuated. They love the idea of Jesus. They love the idea of being forgiven and saved. But when it comes down to following him, they have not committed to that. So these readers of Hebrews recipients of this letter, they claimed, they said, we're enlightened. We've experienced supernatural things. We've seen the power of God. But the author says, okay, you may have seen those things, but demonstrate that by how you live your life. Now, here's something that's crazy that Jesus said. Now, again, I don't have all the answers to this, but he said that there will be people who will even see supernatural signs, and they may even be a part of seeing supernatural signs but they are not saved. He says, on the day of judgment, people will say to Jesus, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? That's a gift of the spirit. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Another gift of the spirit. And then Jesus will say, you did those things, but I never knew you, depart from me. Now, I don't have all the answers from this and it's it's quite a conundrum in my mind is there are people mentioned in the Bible that had spiritual gifts. Caiaphas was one of them. Caiaphas was the high priest. If you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, he's the bad guy, right? Caiaphas, the high priest, was a known prophet, had given prophecies that were accurate. He was given a gift from God to prophesy. I'm being judgmental. I don't think Caiaphas was saved. He's the guy that had Jesus killed, right? I don't think he had a relationship, a good relationship with God the Father, but he had a spiritual gifting. I came from a denomination, guys, that pushed speaking in tongues big time. In fact, they didn't think you were saved unless you had spoken in tongues. So the Baptists in here, you had the sinner's prayer, right? We kind of had our own sinner's prayer, except it was done in a language that that no one could understand. So uh, that was a joke. You can laugh at that. Anyways, so in, in the United Pentecostal Church that I came from, and I'm not trying to make fun of it, but people would come up and they would pray. And our objective, listen... Our objective was not to teach them to love Jesus. Our objective was to get them to speak in tongues. And so some people, I I believe, would receive a spiritual gifting from God, but they had no relationship with Jesus. And I'm afraid that some people are going to get to heaven and say, God, I cast out demons. God, I prophesied. God, I spoke in tongues. And God's going to say, but I didn't know you. We never talked. We never had a relationship. And so our spiritual gifting does not determine our salvation. Do I get all that? No. Oh, man, I skipped a whole slide there. So what we need to do, though, is this makes us step back and evaluate our relationship with God. The Bible encourages the weakest believer, and it also declares warnings uh, to people who carelessly presume that they're always on God's side. And so we're called to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. In other words, we can sound like Christians. We can learn Christianese, right? Right? Atonement, bro, you know, whatever Christianese is. We can learn Christianese. Uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) We can look and sound like Christ followers, but we have to have a relationship with Jesus in order to be saved. And now here again is we're going to get into some very uncomfortable waters. Here's what the author says. People who have heard the gospel and may have even experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe people who've been miraculously healed. I've known people that God has miraculously healed and I've seen them walk away from the faith. What Hebrews says is people that have experienced the gospel, experienced the power of God and willingly turn away. He says that it's like they're nailing Jesus to the cross again. That denying a relationship with Christ after understanding God's grace and then refusing him is a hostile act towards God. Imagine if you gave your only son to die for the sins of humanity. They realized what he had done and totally turned their back on him. That would be very offensive to you, and it's very offensive to God. Now, here's another theological curveball. The author says when people get to this point, there's no turning back. Now, listen, we need to be careful with this one. I believe God will pardon any sin, any sin. I believe no matter what you do, if you've come to this church for any length of time, the best example I can think of is Ted Bundy. Those of you who are old enough, he killed, he raped and killed 60 plus women, gave his life to Christ, and I believe genuinely gave his life to Christ. And and he was eventually uh, uh, killed for his crimes. He was was executed for his crimes, but I believe he was saved. Now, if God can forgive a monster like Ted Bundy, he can forgive anything, but... It is possible for people to reject the grace of God so long that they arrive at a place where repentance is impossible. It's not impossible for Jesus. He can do anything. But because the heart of the individual has gotten so hard, God has given them over to their desires. The old King James calls it the reprobate mind. Now, if I've uh, ever read a scripture in the Bible that is pertinent to our culture and our day and age, let me read you this. This is from Romans. Think about it in 21st century culture. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. Malice. They are the number two reason why people do not come to church. They are gossips. They are slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil. This one is interesting to me. If you read the news enough, I know what King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. There's some things that have not been done before. Now, I know that certain kinds of evil and lust and greed and those things have always been here. I don't think in Solomon's time there was a man that transgendered into a woman, cut off his ears and his nose to look more like a dragon. That was in the news last week. That we've become inventive in our ways to rebel against the creator. We've, become, we've gone to outlandish lengths to invent new forms of evil. Disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And here's the part that's damning. These are not people who are ignorant to God, although they know full well God's just sentence. That those that do these things deserve to die, they not only do them, they applaud others who practice them. Is this not our day and age? Is this not our culture? That we know full well God's just sentence, but we continue to do evil and we even applaud those who do evil. So there's this simple analogy that the author uses to kind of wrap this up. I love how, they, how he does this. It's beautiful. He says essentially what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that God reigns on the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. All soil is rained on, and us being the soil, we have the, uh, uh, we have the choice to either grow up and become vegetation that the gardener can cultivate and see fruit out of and can multiply and do something wonderful with, something that can bloom, or we can grow up to be weeds and thistles and thorns and things that need to be pulled out of the ground and as the Bible says, thrown into a fire. Now I know it's unpopular in church. I know we love to talk about heaven, but we never like to mention hell. But sometimes we need a reminder that the gardener, many analogies in the, in the Gospels, that the gardener will pull up useless weeds and thorns and will throw them into a fire. Last part. It ends on a good note. <laughs> okay, so if you've been reading this with me and you've been, you, you've been hearing, me, hearing me teach, I love what the author says here. In the next part, he says, even though we are speaking this way, because he's been kind of harsh, right? Even though he's been speaking this way. He says, dear friends... In your case, we are confident of the better things connected with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you showed for His name when you served the saints and you continue to serve them. Now we want each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the final realization of your hope so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith, and through perseverance. So he goes from warning them to encouraging them. Now, what's encouraging is he calls these people dear friends. That shows that the author of this was not trying to beat down the recipients of the letter. He loved them. He said, dear friends. Not only did he say dear friends, he says, I'm confident in you which means the recipients of this letter, he was confident that they would continue to push towards Jesus. And the ones who were not living right, he was confident that they would heed the warnings and change. And he said, I'm confident that you're going to receive the better things. What he meant by better things was, he says, I'm confident that you're going to have productive lives, that you're going to have content lives, and that you're going to do good things for the kingdom. These are things that accompany true believers, a content and productive life. And so what had these people done to make this individual confident in their growth and their spiritual development? Now look, if you're not a Christian in here, here's another one of those good lists of what Christians should be doing. If you are a Christian in here, this is a good reminder of the simple things that all Christians should be doing. He said, I'm glad that you've worked and shown love in Jesus's name. And so what they did was they were concerned for other people, they lived righteously according to the standards of God, they loved people, they ministered to other Christians, they had a heart for justice, and they loved to spread the gospel to the lost. These are simple, simple, fundamental, elementary things that not all Christians should do, but all Christian circles should be doing as well. This is in fact the mission of the church right here. This is it. And so he lists these things out for us. And what he says is you need to keep pushing forward in this. He's encouraging the recipients of the letter. Now he says, keep growing in that and remain diligent. Now going back to our argument, can you lose your salvation or not, listen, If you are constantly focused on Jesus, if you are always moving towards him, you don't have to worry about if your salvation is lost or not. So he says, if you want assurance of your salvation, just always keep your eyes focused on the Lord. And if your eyes are focused on the Lord, you don't have to worry about that because he knew some of these people were worried about their salvation. They were worried about it. And he said, don't worry about it. Just keep moving towards Jesus. Keep moving towards Jesus. And you'll have that assurance of your faith. And so, what else he encourages them to do is he says, Go back and read the story of Ruth. Go back and read the story of Moses. Go back and read the story of Abraham and Esther. Go back and read about Deborah and David. Go read about the heroes of the past and imitate them. Do what they did. I know they weren't perfect, but they were very close to God. Do what they did to get close to God. He also encourages them look at the leaders currently in this day and age. Look at Peter. Look at Paul. Look at Thomas. Look at all these different great leaders and imitate them and follow their lead. And what that shows us, I'm talking about you and I, we need to read the word and we need to see what the heroes of our faith did and we need to imitate them. Man, we just got done with Daniel. Read the book of Daniel. That guy was amazing. Probably one of my favorite heroes of the Bible was Daniel. Go back and read that and imitate Daniel. Follow his example. Not just that, you and I need to find good spiritual mentors and leaders in our life and get behind them and learn from them and let them sharpen you. Hang out with people smarter than you. Hang out with people that challenge your ideas and push you forward and encourage you. Because if we're not diligent, if we're not pushing towards the mark, if we're not working towards Christ, we will stray away. If we do not choose, I'm going to say this twice, if we do not choose our influences wisely, if we do not choose our influences wisely, and if we continually neglect the word of God, and if we continually neglect godly counsel, we are destined to become lazy in our faith and our hearts will become hard. At the risk of sounding, I I hope you know my heart enough, um... People come into my office all the time, and I'm only 36 years old, and, and I've made a ton of mistakes, and I'm not a very learned man, and, 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 but, but I feel like God has given me a, a certain level of wisdom and, and, and godly knowledge. I believe God has done that. And so sometimes people will come into my office, and they will ask my opinion about their marriage or their business or their finances or whatever the case may be and we'll talk about it for an hour. I usually do meetings in hour blocks, and we'll talk about it, and I'll think of Scripture, and I might pull in Josh and get Josh's opinion, or I might get a hold of our elders, and I might ask their opinion, and we, we get together, and we formulate an idea, and I say, I believe this is what God wants you to do, and I can show that in Scripture, and I've confirmed that with other people. I, th- I think this is what you need to do, and people will do that after an hour, and they'll look at me and just go, nah, nah, and right then I'm like, boy, I wish I could have that hour back. Here's where I get mad, is God has put people in your life, and if you don't like me and if you don't trust me as your pastor, please find someone that you do trust. But God puts men and women in our life, godly counsel that is there, that has been given wisdom and knowledge by the Lord, and we are to submit to these people, and we are to at least, at least digest the information that they give us and take it to heart before we make a decision. Please don't be so foolish to deny godly wisdom. Godly counsel. Please, don't do that. Make sure you have people in your life that you trust and at least chew on their opinions and at least think about their opinions a little bit. The thing is this. Christianity is not simply a religion. Christianity is a relationship. And relationships should always be growing. They should always be becoming more intimate. Healthy organisms always grow. Always. Now look. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not one of those guys. We're never going to have, like, declarations at our church. You know, we're just not going to do that because it's cheesy. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I said it earlier, and, and I hope I don't embarrass anyone in, in this congregation. Uh, we have a young man that, that comes to this church. He might be in the room. Uh, he used to play professional baseball, right? I talked about that. He played for the Arizona Diamondbacks and uh, it was a first-round draft pick. You don't only get into the major leagues at 18 and become a first round draft pick uh, by being lazy. It's just not the way it works. Unless you're Bo Jackson. He was kind of a freak though, right? So anyways, um, for you older sports fans in here. You work hard, you're diligent, it's a lot of blood, it's a lot of sweat, it's a lot of tears to get there. It's on purpose, you have to do it on purpose. Um, We have some very successful business owners that come to this church. Um, I I hope I don't embarrass him, but Bob Parks comes here and he's a wonderful man, a good Christian solid man. Um, His name is on half the lawns in Murfreesboro that are for sale, right? Very, very influential, good God-fearing man. You don't get to where he was at by just kind of like lackadaisically doing your business. You work hard. You're intentional. You honor God. It's a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. There's a lot of moms in this room. (laughs) If you want to know a hard job, be a stay-at-home mom with a couple of kids. It never stops, right? So there's good moms in this room. You don't become a great mother. You don't become a good wife. By accident, it's intentional. There are marriages in this room that have gone on for 40, 50, 60 years. That doesn't happen by accident. That's done intentionally. It's done on purpose. Now, I said all that to say our relationship with the Father, the most important thing we'll ever do, God the Father, it will not get great by accident. It must be done on purpose. And so we must decide, you and I, all of us in this room, we must decide in our minds and our hearts that we're gonna be fully committed to Christ. And when we've done that, when we've drawn a line in the sand and said, I'm I'm firmly planted in Christ, this is where I'm going to be. If you've decided that in your heart and your mind, you're going to get one of these books and you're going to break it open and you're going to read it and there are going to be things in this book that you don't like. There are going to be things in this book that correct you. It's never fun to be corrected. It's never fun to be instructed or, or criticized. That's never fun. But there are things in this book that will cut at the core of who you are it will expose insecurities in you, and it will expose sins in you and I. But if we've made a line in the sand and we've fully committed to follow Jesus, we've got to read those things and we've got to submit to God's plans. We've got to fully accept the truth and we've got to fully and genuinely repent for our disobedience to God. We've got to do that. The next thing we, got to, the next thing we have to do is we have to have a good level of church involvement. You need to be diligent, and your church involvement. Now look, we don't worship the church. The church is not your salvation. This is not the only great church in town. There's a lot of good churches. If you don't like this church, let us plug you into, there's a couple of bigger ones, there's some smaller ones that we can plug you into to whatever kind of methodology and style fits you. You just need to be in church. Now though we don't worship the church and it's not your salvation, it is the instrument that God has chosen to grow or help us grow our relationship with God you need to be in the church. There's always a correlation with people who have strayed away from God and their church attendance. There's always a correlation. You need to be in church. And if you don't like this church, there's a lot of great churches in town. We're blessed in this town. Back to those uncomfortable waters about the supernatural stuff. Every believer needs to seek out the gifts of the Spirit. We don't need to just go after the ones that are crazy We don't need to just ask for for things like speaking in tongues. Paul addresses that in chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. All three of those chapters are essentially about the gifts of the Spirit and mostly about speaking in tongues. And it's about the abuse of that one thing. Now, he says, no, it's it's a great gift. Paul says, I do it. But it's the least of the gifts. And oddly enough, it's the one that most people pray for and aspire to and religions are based off of. But Paul says we are to diligently seek wisdom, the gift of wisdom. If there's something we need in our confusing world right now, we need a supernatural gift of wisdom. We need knowledge. We need courageous faith, miracles, healings, prophecy, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues. If it's done in a corporate setting, that's another lesson for another time. And another gift that we all need right now is the gift of discernment, to know what is good and to know what is bad. These are gifts that the Lord has given us, not so we can make money or freak our neighbors out, He gave us these gifts because it lifts up the church. It edifies the church. And we're to use these gifts in accordance with the Bible to lift up and edify the church. We're also to be good stewards of our time. Now, this is where all of us have failed on some level if we're just honest with each other, right? But if you have a smartphone or if you can buy a calendar, if you're one of those people that has to write things down, you need to block out time in your day to pray like you block time out for yourself to eat lunch. You and I need to pray, we need to pray. Block it off, set an alarm, set a reminder, set a calendar date, do something in your phone, do something, get get a to-do list tattooed on your arm and write down on your forearm, I need to pray today. Do whatever you have to do to make sure that you have a prayer life. You need to also block off time to study. Sometimes if you catch them at the right time, Lifetime will have a, Lifetime, Lifeway, Lifetime has cheesy movies. Lifeway has cheesy Christian stuff. Anyways, um, uh, sorry. Uh, (laughs) They'll have these, I'm I'm doing a sales pitch for them right now, so it's okay. They sell these commentaries sometimes for five bucks. Five bucks. It has all 66 books of the Bible in it. Little bitty like, almost like pocket-sized commentary. Invest in those. Invest in a good Bible that has the commentary at the bottom Make time to study the word of God. Make time to build relationships. Make it a priority and block out some time to get to know the person in the cubicle next to you at work. Now, build relationships with your neighbor. Build relationships with the, the person that you're barista at Starbucks or Joe Zara's or just love. Build out, block out time to get to intentionally have conversations with people. Block out time to teach others. Listen, some of you men in this room, some of you men in your 40s, 50s, 60 years old, I'm just going to throw it out there. There's a whole generation coming up that didn't have dads. And we need good, God fearing men to do things that you may take for granted. But whenever we have a funeral here or whenever we have a wedding here, there's a whole, and I'm not trying to be funny, there's a whole generation of 20 something year old men. They don't even know how to tie a tie because they never had a father to show them. Take the time. To teach some young men, take women, take some time to, to, to put some, some young women in your life and to teach them and to mentor them. Take time to serve, not just your church, serve your city, serve your neighbors, serve your family, serve your friends. And the other thing we must do is we must surround ourselves with people that challenge us. Man, I'm telling you, find someone whose vocabulary is just far beyond yours and hang out with them. Learn. Find people who are so much more educated than you. Learn. Find people that sharpen you. So if the Bible says iron sharpens iron sharpens iron, what happens when we only hang out with dull wood, right? We become dull. We need to hang out with people that challenge us, encourage us, push us forward, that they sharpen us. We also we also need to pour into our community, and we must do it intentionally. Not accidentally, not every once in a while. We need to be invested in our community, and I'm not just talking about feeding the poor and things like that, or just working at Salvation Army, or I'm talking about all facets of our community. families. Fathers, you need to take your kids out sometimes. Fathers, you need to block out time to just lavish love on your kids. You need to turn the TV off or put the smartphone away and go for a drive or take your kids out for ice cream or just spin little blocks. Be intentional. Dads, be intentional about the time you spend with your family. Moms, be intentional about showing your husband love, about you guys going out on dates, about you guys spending time together. Be intentional about that. The nuclear family is under serious attack. And we've got to purposefully and intentionally invest in each other. Invest in your friends. Don't do all the talking. Be someone that listens to them. Be someone that empathizes with them. Reach out to your friends. Invest into your neighbors. You know that property line we all look at our blueprints and like, I'm going to mow right down that property line, right? Not going to accidentally mow too much on their side. Man, just mow your neighbor's yard. Do something nice for them. Weed eat around their block or something. We're on a cul-de-sac. My neighbors probably think I'm super annoying. Like, I, I'm like OCD about yards. So like, I'll just like weed eat around the whole cul-de-sac, you know, and everyone's just like, there's Corey touching my yard again. But that's just me. <laughs> But reach out and love your neighbors. If I were to ask you guys, how many of you know your next, neighbor's, your next, yeah, your next door neighbor's names? How many of you know uh, everyone on your block? How many of you ever had dinner with people on your block? Get to know your neighbors. Pour into them. Here's one that uh, always garners uh, criticism from people. We need to pour into people of other faiths. You wouldn't believe how many families have left this church because I said we're to love the Muslim community. So when Jesus said, love those that hate you and pray for those that persecute you, do you think there's a hidden meaning in that? (laughs) Do you know Christianity is a religion solely, not just based on love, it follows the God that is called love, right? Christianity, God is love. I have never known anyone to come to a saving faith of Jesus Christ through hatred. I've never known it. Now look, here's the odd thing about Christianity. Christianity is a tolerant religion, which means we live and we, quote unquote, coexist with everyone. Christianity has always done that. We've always been the minority, and we've always learned to coexist with the people around us. That doesn't mean that we believe and accept all faiths. What that means is, I believe that there is one way to the Father because Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. That's what Jesus said. So I'm very exclusive in the fact that I believe Jesus is the only way to be saved. But if I don't show love and respect to the people around me that have other faiths, I will never have the hopes of them having a saving revelation of who Jesus is. I had coffee with a Muslim man Saturday who's a great guy. I've known him for, man, I've known him for about 12 years now almost as long as I've been a Christian. A great young man, he has two kids about my age, very devout Muslim, he's a good man, he's a good citizen, business owner. If you met him, he's so pleasant, he's such a nice guy, but he will never see the love of Jesus unless I show it. Now, let me take it a step further. We employ a young man here that most of you may not know, but I bet all of your kids know, young man named Savut. His whole family is Buddhist. And he was Buddhist just until a couple of years ago. I don't know if you guys know how many Buddhist people live in, in Rutherford County. There's a ton. It was either this month or it was the end of last month was the Buddhist New Year. If you drive by the Buddhist temple on Old Nashville Highway, man, it looks like Bonnaroo out there. <laughs> Not quite. But, you know, there's a lot of cars out there, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you're just like, wow, it, there's 120,000 Buddhists in our town. You know, uh, anyways, there's, there's a lot of people out there, right? And so um, what's interesting about a guy like Savut, if it wasn't for a Christian couple that reached out to Savut, he would have never gotten saved. A Buddhist, right? If we wouldn't have shown love to a person of another faith, he would not have been saved. He's one of the best people I've ever hired at this church. Most of your kids are in love with that guy. He's fantastic. Now, not just him, his entire family is still Buddhist, except for one, a guy named Pip, that a lot of your kids also know Pip as well, works in the children's department. Now, Pip got saved because of Savut and at the risk of embarrassing those guys. Now the rest of their family has started to be interested in this dramatic change in their life. See what happens? See what happens when you reach out and love just one person that believes differently than us? We're to reach out to the poor. We're to pour into the poor, which I believe most churches do pretty well. You know where we don't do well? We don't want to touch the rich, (laughs) the evil rich, right? We're just jealous of them, so we hope they go to hell. Are we being honest? Right? (laughs) We reach out to the poor, but man, there's a lot of affluent, influential people that also need to know Jesus. You know, Jesus wouldn't have had a, he would not have had a tomb if it wasn't for a rich politician named Joseph of Arimathea. Interesting, huh? Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. The hardest one that I've had to reach out to in the last seven years of doing this church, and guys, I never want to come off as negative and I never want to come off as combative, The hardest bridge I've had to build since since starting this church seven years ago is with other churches. That's a real shame. It's a real shame. Bringing David Young here and the relationship we have with the Church of Christ Church, right, it's crazy. And I'm so glad that we have that relationship with him. That speaks volumes, not to the Christians in our community. Nonbelievers can look and say, wow, they actually do get along sometimes. One of the most interesting things about chapter 6 is the author says that they ministered to the other saints. We've got to stop being jealous of other Christians. We've got to stop competing with other Christians. And we just need to celebrate the fact that the kingdom is growing. We've got to link arms. Now imagine for a second, and I'm sure this will get around and people will just think I'm a jerk. Imagine if New Vision, World Outreach, North Boulevard, and Experience Community linked arms and did community service projects. what if we did that? Why don't we do that? Anyways, we need to reach out to other believers. We need to love them. We are brothers and sisters. And quite frankly, the Bible says, first and foremost, we are to take care of each other first. And we have not done that. We have not done that. I love you guys. Take these notes I know this isn't one of those messages where you fall out on the floor and you're crying and stuff. I know it's not one of those. The Last couple of weeks have been nuts and bolts, but I believe God is taking this church into a season where we've got to start swimming in the deeper waters. And when we start swimming in the deeper waters, man, you're gonna see changes in schools and neighborhoods and community service, and you're gonna see changes all over our community if we'll be brave enough to let God take us into the deep end. Can I pray for you, please? Let me pray for you. Before I pray, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there's communion on the right and left. If you've never been here before, everyone is welcome to take that. We don't have membership here or anything like that. The only thing that prohibits you from taking the body and blood of Jesus, represented by the the bread and the juice, is that you have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. That's it. But everyone else, you're you're welcome to take that. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there will also be people on my right and left, men and women, who are spirit-filled, good, solid believers, And if you have anything you need prayer for, I'm talking anything, anything, they will pray for you, and they're very equipped to pray for you. They'll they'll do that. If you're in here and you're struggling with your faith, I want to genuinely tell you, the church has not always been perfect. We're, We're flawed. But please give Jesus a chance. We are imperfect people, but he is a perfect Savior, a perfect God. And he loves you. And if you will just be vulnerable, he will touch your heart. Father, Lord, we love you. God, for everyone in this room, I pray, Lord, that you just touch their hearts. Encourage them, Father. Lord, don't let them leave here like they're, like they're not good enough. Lord, let them leave here encouraged and, and wanting to diligently serve you and serve their community. God, we love you and we thank you, Lord. If there's anyone in this room who is not a believer, I pray that something today has sparked their interest. Something today has sparked some questions, God. And I pray that you touch their heart, Lord. For all the people who may come up and need prayer, Lord, I pray, God, that you are uh, in those conversations and that you answer those prayers. God, if it be your will, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your grace and for your love and for your mercy and for your Holy Spirit that empowers us, God. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Love you guys very much.